Um, it's just interesting as you look around. Um, I personally like this. I think we should just keep it like this. Um, um, just, uh, just kind of out there. Thanks, Mary. Um, but I thought if ever we needed an illustration of the gap between vision and reality, this okay? Because this is not this is not the finished article. It's in process. And you'll know that I keep saying that as a church, as individuals, we're in process. We're not the finished article yet. Even the vision for the church is in process. It's not finished yet. It's not completed yet. And uh, some of the things that uh, we feel church about expansion, about new levels, about establishing people, about the generation. These are things which God has spoken to the church. And we don't see that yet, or we don't see it completed yet, but it's in process. And who knows that when things are in process, things are messy, yeah? Okay, if you'd been here yesterday to tidy up, pause for effect. Um, If you'd been here yesterday to tidy up, you'd have seen mess in this place. Because when we're in process, there is mess. And in church, when we're in process, there is mess. And as people... When we're in process, sometimes there's mess. Would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah? I don't know about you, but I experience that myself. I'm not the finished article. The church is not the finished article. But I'm quite at ease with that because none of us are the finished article yet. And yet we hope, we hope for something that is far beyond what we even experience in this earthly life. Our hope is an eternal hope. And this is part two of last week's message, simply because we didn't finish last week's message, um, and I took what was left of last week's message, and I've kind of expanded upon that, and uh, that it could probably go to another week again, but we'll see how we go uh, with, with reading. Um, and last week we considered how Abraham, who was Abram at the time, hoped against all hope. And we read the verses in the scripture uh, that against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. Or, as we've got on the screen there, Abraham was beyond hope, but hope believed. We read that in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Abraham hoped for a child when all hope was gone. All natural hope was gone. But he had the promise of God and the word of God, and that's a sure thing. And on Abraham's part, it was not wishful thinking. It was based on what God had said to Abraham. And so he moved forward in hope. He moved forward in faith on that basis. And for us, it's not wishful thinking. The promises of God are not wishful thinking. The promises of God are based on who Jesus is. We've sung about him this morning. We've thought about this incredible man, Jesus, and he, as we understand from the Bible, is the very embodiment of the Word of God. He is the embodiment of God, and we see God in him. And so to hope in him is not wishful thinking, but we need to listen to what he's saying to us, and we need to be open to test what he's saying to us. Let's just pause for a little second to pray uh, before we go on in the message. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have done on our behalf. And Father, we thank you for Jesus who has come in the flesh and has presented himself to this world. 
Father, he has represented you in this world. And Father, when we see him, we see you. And Father, we pray today that again we will see Jesus. Father, that we will see him in Scripture as we read Scripture today, as we think about as the subject of hope once again. Father, we've been singing about that this morning, this subject of hope. We thank you that we have this hope as an anchor, sure and firm, that goes into the Holy of Holies, that goes into your presence. That, Father, we are not just earthly beings, but, Father, we are eternal beings bound up in an earthly body. And that, Father, one day you will reveal an incredible glory even in us Father, a glory that we have never experienced before. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to hold on to hope. And, Father, maybe for some of us today, when all hope is gone, that you'd help us to hold on to hope. Help us to hold on to your words and the things which you say to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So I wanted to think just for a few moments about the type of hope that we have. And the hope that we have firstly, in the Bible, is a good hope. The Bible tells us that it's a good hope. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17 says this, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. We're told here that the hope that we hold to is a good hope. If you listen to what people think about this subject, people in our society, there are many different views about hope, and some people see hope as a very negative thing, which is a really weird thing for me. I can only envisage hope as a positive thing, but then I, I tend to be a hopeful person. And I'm encouraged that it's his grace and not our merits that give us this eternal encouragement and this good hope, as opposed to wishful thinking or misplaced hope. And generally, wishful thinking and misplaced hope is what we invent for ourselves. And all of what Jesus has said has come to pass, or the things which we can look back on have come to pass, the things in God's Word have come to pass, and he's say about things that have not come to pass yet, and those things which have not come to pass will, because what he has said will come to pass, what he said is true, and therefore what he says over our lives will come to pass. We don't see the finished article yet, we don't see the nicely painted walls, but they're coming, they are coming. If they don't come, the painter's getting sacked, <laughs> pay somebody else to finish it off. But he's coming back to finish off the walls. And there's a wee lesson in that. You know, this church that we are part of here is being built piece by piece. And it's his church. This is his church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Therefore, we hope. We hope in those words. It's a good hope. It's also a blessed hope. This is what Titus 2.13 says. It talks about why we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as the painter's coming back, hopefully. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for those who are waiting and watching for him. It says here that we wait for this blessed hope. The context is that it's a happy a happy hope. It's something that gives us joy because we know that Jesus isn't finished yet. He's coming back. He's coming back to receive his church, which Steve referred to this morning as the bride. The Bible talks about the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ being the church. And thirdly, another adjective that describes our hope in the New Testament is that it's a living hope. And 1 Peter 1, 3 4 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. What are earthly inheritances compared to the spiritual inheritance we have as Christians, as believers? It goes beyond what we experience in this earth, It goes beyond into eternity. And our hope is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It goes beyond death into eternity. And it takes us into our eternal inheritance. We have a home to go to. And that's an incredible thing. An eternal home in the immediate presence of our Father. The title of today's message is Hope Killers. What are the things, what are the potential hope killers in your life today? I don't know about you, I am a human being, and sometimes things like faith and trust and hope can ebb away. You feel that your trust, that your faith, that your hope can be attacked, eroded, uh, just by the circumstances of life. And I wanted to think about some hope killers today, things that have the potential to kill hope within us if we don't pay attention. And the first of those is incessant activity. Incessant activity. Whether due to your workload or the pressure to keep a roof over your head or just the sheer busyness of life. It could actually just be choosing to be constantly plugged in in an increasingly digital and device-oriented culture. And that includes things like the TV and the radio. Plugged in all the time. Have you ever taken time to watch people these days? Watch people these days. It's like... And everything else that's happening round about is kind of like oblivious, you're in a different world, you might be chatting with a friend on the other side of the world, and that is good, but we can become oblivious to what's actually happening around us, plugged in all the time, listening to information all the time. And as Steve this time last year, our brains can be in overload with the amount of information that they need to process Even when we're sitting thinking that we're resting, watching the TV, our brains are still in overdrive processing information. And if it's anything like the hard drive in my computer or the motherboard in my computer, when you work it, it heats up. Well, my brain sometimes feels like it's heating up sometimes. Continually plugged in, continually processing information and not taking 
a break. And the real problem of this is that it robs us of our time to rest and to focus on God. And it keeps our heads down and stops them from coming up. It stifles real conversation with real people who are round about us living in the moment. And our attention can be diverted into things which are less important. And many of us need to learn to slow down, to switch off, and to tune in to God. As Bet shared that word, that interesting word for us last week about leaning forward to tune in the radio. We need to lean into God and get tuned in because the incessant activity will take our focus away from God and it will put us our focus on other things. We need to focus on what is important in life. Hope is related to sight, but not the sight of our physical eyes. And we learned this from the scripture that we read last week. And this is what Ephesians 1.8 says. I pray also that they, listen to this, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Not our physical eyes, but that with which we perceive life, with which we perceive God and the things that are going on, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Ephesians 1.8. And in order to do that, we need to meditate more. We need to be tuned in to what God is saying and doing. I'm going to put up another little picture, which for me kind of summed that up. Uh, for those of you who have seen The Hobbit, you'll recognize that scene. But sometimes in life, there are times where you just can't see the wood for the trees. Life can become claustrophobic at times. Through all the busyness and all the stuff that's going on, it can become claustrophobic. And sometimes we just need to get above the canopy and breathe in the fresh air and get away from the things that are crowding around us. We need to just take that time out to meditate more. And so incessant activity can be a hope killer. The second thing is worry. Worry is also an effective hope killer. It causes us to become anxious about the challenges that we're facing, or even the imaginary challenges that we're not facing, but we might face. You never know. Worry is not focused on the present problem and how to resolve it. Rather, it's focused on what might be. And I think it's coupled helplessness. But Jesus' teaching on worry is very clear. He instructs the disciples not to worry. This is what he says. Read Mark 33. But he talks about not to worry about their life, about their body, about what they should eat or drink, or what they should wear, or even about tomorrow. He says, don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of, and he provides for us. Corrie ten Boom put it this way, and I'm going to put up a quote from her. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm designed to carry two days at once. I think I've got enough resources to deal with today. Okay? I'm thinking about the week that's ahead. 
and the things that are planned and in the diary, and it's a busy week next week, and I do need to plan and I need to think about that. But I need to live in today. Today is the moment that we're given to live in. She goes on to say, it's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Nothing is more effective in killing our hope than worry. We worry about things that may or may not even happen. And the antidote to that is hope. Because I'm encouraged and reminded that God is far bigger than my problems and far bigger than me. And I've got somebody that I can trust in for tomorrow. We have sung that song so many times in this church. You might have sung it as well. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, yes, I know, tempted to sing, he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. He already has tomorrow in hand. He is your tomorrow in hand. Don't worry about it. And I'm preaching to myself, just in case you're wondering. Maybe this guy's got it all sussed and sorted out. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. God gives me a message for me uh, today. And the third thing that causes us to lose hope can be a killer is negativity. The negative words and attitudes of other people can seep into our souls. You know those types of days when you think, it's not really raining, and you go out and you've just got an ordinary jacket on, and you think it'll be fine, and you've been out maybe shopping through Glasgow, and you realise... I'm soaked to the skin here. I didn't think it was raining that heavy, but it's this drizzle that just seeps through into your very bones almost. Have you ever experienced that? As a hill walker, experienced that kind of drizzle being out. So it is with attitudes, uh, sorry, with atmospheres of negativity. Atmospheres of negativity are the same. They can souls and they can saturate us, and they can begin to affect us. Maybe that's why negative. They are hopeful. Here's an example of the ten. And not only did they miss the point, because of the way they reacted, they missed God's plan A. And they hindered the work and plans that God had for a migrant people as they were about to possess the land that was promised to them. And they had to go to plan B. And you can read about this in Deuteronomy, what I'm about to say. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 26 to 27, Numbers 13. It says that they disobeyed God. Not only so, but they grumbled. They grumbled in their tents. And Numbers 14.23 says, Not one of them ever see the land I promised an oath to their forefathers. An attitude, an atmosphere of negativity. And it's spread by a few people and affects all the people. Caleb and Joshua are trying to say, but, but God's with us, we can do this thing. But they choose to listen to the negative report. 
and it kills hope. It kills hope for this people who have promise of God that they're going to take this land. This is very negative here. <laughs> Thank you. Hey. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A positive spin put on something. And uh, Josh and Sarah, no, they're my kids. They've been on the receiving end of me sometimes, and it's not always been good. And uh, I ask them to forgive me for that. I have done in the past. I hope that I don't embitter my children. And I hope that I don't embitter the church either, where God has called me to serve. But it can seep into the church as well. Negativity can seep into a church, and it can affect us, and it can seep into our souls, and it can kill hope. The things that we talked about earlier, uh, the things about expansion, about elevation, about establishing, about the generations, Negativity can come in, creep into that. I don't know if you've watched Strictly Come Dancing. Has anybody watched that last year? Yeah. Uh, I watched Strictly Come Dancing with the family. Um, wouldn't be my first choice of programs to watch, but there you go. Uh, we sat and we watched it as a family. And I was really, really impressed by this new judge, Shirley, um, simply because of the way that she gave feedback. She was very, very encouraging. She was very positive. She was able to identify exactly what was going well and what was going wrong and what they needed to do to fix it. So it was very, very positive. And I thought, she has had an effect on those other judges. Because for the first time, I watched other judges begin to do the same Talking about specific moves and things and twirls, all the frills I don't have any clue about. And you started to see the other, well, apart from that, the guy at the end, okay, Mr. Negativity, um, Craig. Um, but even he was challenged to be, I think, a bit more positive. And so we need to get this. We need to think about how we speak to each other. The problem is, if we're in an atmosphere of negativity, people become discouraged they become less likely to try 
and have a go. And when I was at conference this year, um, a, a man called Mark Barson, he said something. He says, the key to overcoming the fear of failure is failure. Interesting, eh? But it's not finished. The key to overcoming the fear of failure is failure in small doses. And in so doing, we build up immunity. There needs to be the opportunity for us to fail and get it wrong. Why? Because it's only people who are doing something that are ever likely to fail. If you're not doing something, you can't fail at it. We need to be doing something in order to fail. And my prayer for this church is that we're a church who are doing things. We might make mistakes. We might get it wrong. But we need to be able to encourage each other and say, hey, I've done that before as well. Here's what I did. You might want to do something different, but here's what I did. And so the negative things that we are hit with are like junk emails. We need to put them straight into the trash. Or if you don't use email, junk mail that comes in, you've won a prize. No, you've not. Okay, it's junk. Bin it. And I say respectfully, don't get sucked into all the nonsense that you hear on the God channel as well. There's some stuff on there that is, I think, unscriptural. Some stuff. All the prosperity gospel stuff and whatnot. And respectfully, I say, put it in the bin. Assign it to the trash. The fourth thing that can be a hope killer, I think, is an ungrateful heart. It's always looking at what it doesn't have rather than continuing to live in the reality of what we do have. This is another hymn. All the old hymns come back to me. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Not looking at how God has blessed somebody else. Because there's always going to be somebody else that's got more than you. But there's also going to be somebody else who's got less. Count your blessings. I remember uh, we were doing some stuff with the youth years and years ago. And uh, using a resource. And there was a a Christian leader from an NGO talking about the problem of suffering. We're trying to deal with this question, why does God allow suffering? And he cited an example of watching war refugees coming across a border in one of the African nations. And he saw a man coming with his wife and family and asked him how he had coped. The man had nothing but what he was carrying and the clothes that he was standing in and his family. And he said words to this effect, if it had not been for the Lord Jesus Christ, we would not be here. This man had nothing. And as this story is being retold, the man who's telling the story breaks down into tears. Probably because he realizes how much he has and how much God has done for him. You know, we're encouraged through Scripture to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing will kill your hope like being ungrateful. Nothing will kill your hope than continuing to look at what you don't have rather than looking at what you do have and what God has blessed you with. And all of these things, all of these things can affect our hope. They can affect our peace. They can affect our mindset. But Isaiah 26.3 says this, 
you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. All these things come against us. They come to kill hope. An ungrateful heart will kill hope. To go back to the Israelites and their wandering in the deserts. This is what it says in Exodus 16, 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And this is when God is providing for them. An ungrateful people. An unthankful people who had lost their way and had lost hope. Let's continue to be thankful for all things in all circumstances. Impediments and weaknesses can be seen as negative qualities. But they're actually God's opportunities to work in a way that glorifies Him. We focus on the things that were not good. We can focus on impediments and weaknesses. And we can miss what God is doing in us. Listen to this, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. This is Moses. This is the man who we're talking about who was called to lead these people out of Egypt. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I, 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 I can't do these things. God says, I've got it in hand. Yes, you can. I'm calling you. And if God's called you, then God will equip you. And I think about this and I think about my own life and I ask myself this question. Has God asked you, I'm speaking to myself here, to confront a powerful leader with military backing, to see miraculous events that lead to misery and destruction in a nation, including death, and to lead millions of people through a tough wilderness situation and a tough environment? No. Thank you, Lord. Couldn't handle it. <laughs> but this is what he was called to do. What's with all the cracks and popples? pops and crackles today. Um, Moses was called to do something that was incredibly difficult despite his weaknesses and his impediments. And the scriptures are full of people who God calls despite the weaknesses. Jeremiah, he's the same. Read verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Ask sovereign Lord, he said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Has God asked you, I'm speaking to myself again, okay? Has God asked you to enter the world stage and to speak prophetically into nations and potentially be rejected? No. Thank you, Lord. I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. Think of Gideon. Gideon was the one who was asked to go and save the Israelites from the, the Midianites. God calls him, and this is what it says in Judges 6.15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Have you ever felt like that? And then I asked myself this question. I'm speaking to me again, okay? 
Has God asked you to lead a disproportionately small army of men into a combat situation with tactics that seem ludicrous? No. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but in each of these circumstances where people Please help me with this microphone. It's in and out, okay. I'll get two mics, I'll get three mics, okay. One of them will work. (laughs) But we need to consider the situation that God has called us into. What is God calling calling us into as a church? What is God calling you into as somebody who's following him? As somebody who's saying, here I am, I think. Send me, I think. (laughs) But don't let me go into Egypt and do crazy things like that. God, if he has called you to do something, will equip you to do it. And our impediments and weaknesses can be the very things that destroy the hope that is within us and stop us from seeing the purposes of God fulfilled in our lives. These things can be Okay, back on again. I'm going to finish, which is quite good. I'm going to finish with a story. And it's a story which came into my life many, many years ago. And it came, in, it came into my life at just the right time. And this is what it says. There was once a man who was sleeping in his cabin. All of a sudden, the cabin was filled with light and the Lord appeared The Lord told the man that he had work for him to do. And he took the man outside his cabin and showed him a great rock. And the Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all his might. And this the man did day after day for many years. This is not the rock in question, but it could be. Okay. He toiled from sunup to sundown, pushing against the rock just as the Lord had told him. His hands set squarely against the cold, hard, unmoving rock, pushing with all his might. Each night the man returned to his cabin, sore and worn out, feeling that he had achieved nothing from his hard labor. Seeing that the man was starting to feel discouraged, Satan decided to enter the picture. Why are you wasting your time? Satan said. You've been pushing against that rock for years and it hasn't moved. Why kill yourself over this? You're never going to move it. Then the man started to think that the task was impossible. Hope killed. And that he was a failure. Hope killed. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man even more. Why kill myself over this, he thought. I'll just put in some time, giving the minimum effort, and that will be good enough. 
This the man planned to do until he decided to talk to the Lord about it. Lord, he said, I've labored long and hard in your service, doing exactly what you've told me to do. Yet after all this time, the rock has not moved a fraction of an inch. What am I doing wrong? Why am I failing you? And the Lord heard the man's cry and answered him with compassion. My friend, he said, long ago I asked you to serve me, to which you agreed. I told you that your task was to push against the rock with all your might, which you've done. Never once did I mention that I expected you to move the rock. I asked you to push against it. Now, my son, you have come to me, your strength spent and your years long, thinking that you have failed. But this is not so. Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back is sinewed and brown. Your hands are calloused from the pressure, and your legs have become great and hardened, unlike my calf. (laughs) Through opposition, you have grown strong, and your abilities surpass those you had in the past. Yet the rock remains. Your calling was to remain obedient and to push, to exercise your faith and to trust in my wisdom. This you have done. Now, my friend, I will move the rock. And as the man stood with the Lord, he watched as the rock disappeared. The Lord turned to the man and said, Now, my friend, for your next task. (laughs) What has God called you to do? Who is in your life that God has called you to pray for and to love and to be there for? Get on and do the thing that God has asked you to do. God's timing is always perfect and there is a season for every activity under the sun. There's a season to push against the rock and then there's a season where God comes and moves the rock himself. I don't know about you, I don't feel very equipped to push big rocks around the place, to push big boulders, but I believe in a God who is almighty and who is all-powerful and who is able to achieve anything that he desires. And God, that same God, is willing to come and to work in you and to work through you in your life, in your family circumstance, in your job situation, and he's able to accomplish his purposes in that. My encouragement is that we lean in, that we tune in, that we listen to what he's saying, and once we know what he's saying to us, that we get on and do it, and that we're obedient. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, and I close with this, says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we pray that you would help us not to lose heart and not to lose our hope. Father, as we live in this world, as we live this life, 
We recognize that there are many things which would come in to rob us of our joy, to kill our hope, to erode our faith and our trust in you. Father, many things which come into our lives that will take our eyes and our focus away from you. But Father, we pray that you'd help us to stop, to look and to listen. Father, maybe for some of us just to stop what we're doing. Just even maybe for a little bit of time each day to stop what we're doing and to look to you and to listen to what you would say to us. And Father, we know that when we hear your voice speaking into our situation, that you bring life and that you bring hope and that you bring purpose. Father, there are so many things which are out with our control. Things which we maybe worry about because we feel that we are not able to influence those things. Father, help us to realize the things that we can do something about and hold on to your strength in those circumstances as we face that. But Father, for those things which we have no control over, we pray that you'd help us to hand them over to you. Father, to cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. And Father, we pray, we just speak blessing over this fellowship today. Father, over the congregation here, but Father, over individuals, over the families that we represent. Over the communities that we represent. Over the schools that we represent. The businesses and the workplaces that we represent. And Father, we pray your blessing. Father, may we be carriers of blessing and carriers of hope to other people who have no hope. And so, Father, we pray that you come and that you presence yourself in our hearts. Father, that we might be so conscious of your presence. And Father, that you would cause us to look to you. Let's just be quiet just for a, a minute before the band come up and just take time to reflect maybe on those areas if God has said something to you today, if he's pinpointed something in your life today, then let's just take a moment in silence uh, to really bring those things before God and to talk to him about those things.
maybe for some people in here today, you've been at the point where you're ready to throw in the towel and to give up. And the Lord says to you today, it's not the time to give up. It's the time to stick in and to allow him to renew your hope, to come in and refocus you and to get your focus off of the circumstances and the situation, off of your own weaknesses and get focused back on him to lean in and to trust in him and to the things which he would say. He is your father and he loves you and he knows what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. So don't fret about the things which you're not capable of. That's not what he's asking you to do. He's asking that you allow him room to make those things happen that you're not capable of and let him be the one who moves the rock. Let him be the one who comes into the situation. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for each other. We thank you for your presence in here today. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to come and worship you. Father, we thank you for this church and for our place in this community, along with others who believe in you and who love you. And, Father, we pray for the churches in this community, along with ourselves, that you would pour out your spirit. Father, that we would see incredible things happen. Father, that we would not get caught in the gap between vision and reality. Father, that we would keep our hope on the things which you have said and the things which you have promised. And Father, we pray also that you give us wisdom in the meantime to know what we ought to do and what we need to step back from and let you do. And so, Father, we just pray uh, that you give us wisdom. I pray for the leaders of all the different departments in this church. And Father, we pray that you give each leader wisdom in the area that they are involved in, whether it's within the church or outside the church in in the community or in chaplaincy or in prisons or in hospitals. Father, wherever it takes us, Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and that you would give us the strength to do the things which you've called us to do. And Father, help us uh, not to get concerned about the things which you've not asked us to be concerned about. Father, we just look to you. We're looking for the fruit of your work in us and through us. And so, Father, we just pray your blessing over every work, over every ministry. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.